Hey, welcome to Gig Stories with Music People. I'm your host, Evan Michael, at the Spacement Recording Studio in Los Angeles, California. This is episode 16, and joining me in studio for this chat was drummer and audio engineer Brandon Cook. Brandon has been in L.A. for a while now, but is heading for greener pastures in Austin, Texas, with his band The Blood Moon Howlers to record their new album and have a central home base to tour from. TheBloodMoonHowlers.com and at TheBloodMoonHowlers, check them out. He's also in psychedelic funk band Paracosmic at Paracosmic Funk. Both uh, bands I highly recommend checking out. Some former associated acts include The Rebel Light, Evan Hatfield, Willow Stevens, and Runson Willis III. Brandon also has some impressive engineering credits with Glass Animals, Kamasi Washington, Chad Smith, Josh Freeze, and many others. Check out FunkNastyCook.com at FunkNastyCook for more about Brandon. He also has his own podcast where he and his cousin speak about their life experiences and growth through plant medicines, meditation, exercise, diet, and how it all plays a vital role in relationships and everyday life. CookCollective.com at CookCollective. I'm at Evan on the bass and the underscore spacement for the studio. Podcast is at Gig Stories with Music People. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Awesome, man. Welcome. Dude, thank you for having me into your amazing space. Oh, I thank love you so much. geeking out on studios, and your setup here is awesome, because I also really love this part of town here in L.A. Thank you so much. I loved your setup, too. You just tore it to shit. I just tore but... it down. <laughs> <laughs> but while it was there, it was glorious hoarding cave of equipment. Yeah. Like, I had, you know, <laughs> can I explain? So, like, yeah. in a church mm-hmm. where... Uh, where you work and and I now work. Yeah. And I rope everyone in. Right. Well, Jonas wrote me in initially, <laughs> but you as you as well and uh cool really cool cool gig, but you know, it's like, "Oh, yeah, let me show you my studio." And we go down like basement of a church and you just walk into this room and it's just like I'm just try- I'm trying to paint the picture, but just picture a high-end studio with just all this outboard gear and a huge board and I was just like this isn't a basement of a church. Like, what the? F- it, it, it was. It's pretty cool. I, I honestly feel so lucky for that situation because one, I never thought I would ever find myself working at church, and I've loved it. Uh, you know, it, I'm moving on now, but I've loved my time there. Besides the getting up early on Sundays, right? And when I got yeah. there, the head pastor was leaving, and there was just this room in the basement that was supposed to be the like youth. Inter, like director intern room but the thing was there's no cell service and there's no windows so people are like we're not bringing kids down here that's really creepy and right, I was like right. this is perfect can I just like take it over and like set up the tech area in here and they're like yeah so I'd like built a whole studio out of this <laughs> I love that no one wanted set up the tech area I love that yeah and then slowly like hey you mind if I like bring some of my work here and some of my gear like I'll help you guys with whatever you want and I'll be here all the time so if you need anything I'm here and oh man I hope it, I think it worked out well for everyone. I like definitely spent, like lived there at, at points, work, like whether yeah. it was like working on a record where I would just like <laughs> go home and shower or, or go to the gym and shower, not even go home and just right. like work. But it was great because there was also like an adjacent huge room that I could throw mics in and get big drum tones and a sanctuary that I could run up and use as like a reverb tank. And yeah, it was wonderful. A lot of options there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope you find an equally cool place in Austin. Thank you. 
so you're moving to Austin with your band, Blood Moon Howlers. Yes, yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah, we're um, very excited. Um, we're working on a record out there with uh, producer Jacob Skiba, who's also the head engineer of this studio called Arlen, which is now one of my new favorite studios in the world because it just it feels like you're at your grandparents' house, but like in the best kind of way, where there's like cool shit everywhere, and yeah. it just seems like it it just seeps the walls just seep with like outlaw country vibes because it's Willie Nelson's nephew's studio. Oh, cool! And it's just it's just it's just the vibe in there, and that's what I love about going into studios is like the vibe because you can sure there's a lot of places you can go and record but a lot of studios feel really sterile and i've been into right. some really famous studios that just were kind of boring because they feel sterile but when they have like yeah. a vibe and you feel inspired to create it's like yeah let's do a record here totally when you said like your grandparents house i'm thinking like a lot of hard candy <laughs> everywhere maybe some vinyl uh <laughs> curtains or something i don't know i think what it was is <laughs> i guess maybe it my so my grandpa and my grandma and grandpa live out uh in laverne which is kind of near pomona is like oh, an hour yeah. east of here sure. in la and my grandpa built their house by taking two houses that the freeway they eminent domain made people move when they built the 210 freeway here and he grabbed two houses and put them together as one Nice. So when I was a kid, I would just wander through the house because there's just tons of rooms and random crap everywhere. And I love that about this, dude. There's just, like, rooms and couches everywhere. Like, one day I just was like, I'm going to go, like, rest on every couch. And I, like, spent half a day while <laughs> vocals were being cut, like, <laughs> checking out all the different couches. Grandpas are, you know, they always are so talented doing stuff like, like, I couldn't imagine putting two houses together right, right now. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Shout out to grandpas. Seriously. Everywhere. Honestly, my grandpa, I, I keep a picture of him in my studio because most of the gear in my studio I built myself. And my grandpa was an electrician. And oh, right. he kind of inspired me as a kid. He would just be like, if you want to figure out something works, like break it and fix it. That's cool. You know, so like tear it apart yeah. and put it back together. Kind of right. Thing. That's badass. Yeah. I know you built a lot of stuff in your studio. So that's that's super cool. Uh, tell me about it. Like, I, I, don't, I guess I don't really know much about your origin story. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about how you got into music and, and all that. Yeah, so I grew up um, in a town east of here in the mountains called Yukaipa. It's like on the way to Palm Springs from, yeah. from L.A. And um, as a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. So I was like, spent most of my time. I wanted to be a catcher for the Anaheim Angels. It's like my, my favorite right. team. <laughs> and then at um, actually what, what first got me into just li wanting to listen to music was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1. Because the soundtrack for that was just like Suicide Machines, Dead Kennedys, yeah. The Ernie's was like my favorite band, and um, and skateboarding, right? So started listening to a lot of music, and I was very lucky that I grew up in... My mom and dad didn't play instruments, but they listened to a lot of music. My mom listened to a lot of classic rock. My dad listened to a lot of R&B, soul, and jazz. Yeah. And so my mom would like... You know, I was really into punk, and my mom would be like, check out this band, Led Zeppelin. I'd be like, who are these old-timers? You know? <laughs> and, like, I'd always get introduced to all these bands, and, like, my mom turned me on to, like, the Chili Peppers and the Shins. And Whoa. so I always had a lot of music yeah. in the house. And then I remember uh, back when MTV played music videos, and I'd stay up till like, 2 in the morning wanting to, like, catch my favorite video or, like, knew that a music video was coming out for a new song. Yeah. And the song Clint Eastwood from The Gorillas. Sure. It was the first time I saw the music video for it, and then I don't know what it was about that song because there's nothing crazy going on in the drums. I was like, and there's a cartoon character drumming. I went, I want to play drums, and that Interesting was the thing. Interesting that that was that, that song. song. That's cool. And so from there, 
you know, beg my, like, a lot of drummers do beg their parents for a drum set, and they say no, and my dad said, tell you what, he had a, he, like, would mess around on drums when he was younger, and he said, I have a practice pad still, you, like, show you're serious about this, and we'll talk. So I made a makeshift drum kit out of, like, a Nintendo game, like, go-kart pedal, that, pra- that uh, <laughs> practice pad and, like, a pan on a wine bottle or something, and just would practice every day. Nice. And then they saw I was serious, and I think my mom finally talked my dad into getting me a drum kit for Christmas, and then eventually my dad got sick of hearing me play, so I, uh, he moved me out into his tool shed. Nice. Then that tool shed, though, became my studio. So that's where, you know, I think, you know, for my birthday, my mom got me, like, a four-track tape recorder. Wow. And that was my introduction into recording and then <laughs> and overdubbing, right? So it was, like, I'd, like, lay down drums and then, like, figure out how to play, like, a Stevie Ray song. Not that I could ever play anything close to, like, Stevie Ray, but then, like, record it and sing it and have four tracks to mess with and just stay up till the break of dawn in my dad's tool shed. Wow. Recording. That's kind of how I got into it when I was a kid. So you were always pretty much then doing drums and recording. Always, yeah. So that's that's cool. So they kind of grew, like, uh, in sync. They, like, both disciplines grew together yeah and it is cool because it turned into like one became a necessity for the other sure you know so the recording became a necessity because um recording a demo was really expensive and i heard a lot of shitty right. demos coming out of um where i grew up and i was really fortunate my high school band we got like big in the area whatever that means right but we like cut a demo at a studio and they were really cool and they taught me a lot the engineer there and um from that kind of started doing a deeper dive into just like you know, I was on Cakewalk after oh, after yeah. a hard disk recorder went from tape to hard disk recorded Cakewalk, but didn't have a computer powerful enough to actually record. So all right. you heard was digital, like clocking noise. Oh man, I think I I think I got Cakewalk. Like that just I hadn't thought about it in years. But I I got Cakewalk and I didn't know how to use it. Oh, I didn't either. And I never. I like I never got it to work. Me neither. I, I eventually it. got Cubase and I yeah. got that to work. But Cakewalk, I was like, I did. Yeah, it just sat for yeah. me, and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to. We, we, and we, we didn't have like YouTube videos yeah. and stuff at the time. Kids don't know how good you have it these days. Right? Maybe me and you should go back and take a dive into Cakewalk so we can feel like we really <laughs> finally made something of ourselves. Oh my so god! I, I can't imagine that what the latency would be and just I don't know I was, what. It would sound I mean, like. granted, I didn't know what I was doing either, but yeah, yeah, even because with Cubase, it was like, oh, digital clip distortion everywhere sure. and, and latency, like, you yeah. know, into the recording from all the like digital artifacts getting in there. And I had an Mbox 2, oh, was nice. like kind of my first time actually successfully recording something, yeah. uh, with Pro Tools, and still, like, I felt like every step I'd. I would be like, I'd ask somebody like, what do I buy? Like, what do I get? And then it would be like, okay, I have this. Like, I st- how do I get it to work? And then I just felt like every step that, at least getting that first setup going, every step was like, oh, well, you need, actually you need like a separate, like you need speakers and a po- something to yeah. power the, and it was like, I've well, I've got a bass amp. So like my bass amp was my first monitor oh yeah where i was just like that's the only thing i could find that i had at the time so it was just like so funny that it it, every the first setup every step was so hard oh yeah to get it to work and then getting pro tools and being like what what do you what do i do to like 
I I figured there would just be like record hit record and yeah. and it was just so hard <laughs> even to like select tracks. It was like right. how do I it, all the tracks are selected. How do I only select one of, you know, just like stupid stuff that... Well, that's why I loved yeah. <laughs> my Tascam hard disk recorder because there was faders, there was a button to record enable. Yeah. And then similar, I love that, of that age of like, well, I need this. What do I have laying around the house that'll work? So my yeah. first monitors were going out of the RCA out of that into my mom and dad's old stereo. And that was my, my studio monitors, sure. you know? Oh, yeah. My my, stu- my stereo ended up being my monitors yeah. for a little while. Till I got to, really, till I got to audio and to, to MI. And one of the teachers, like, the first day was like, all right, what's everybody using for their monitors? And I was like, oh, no. Because I had been looking at, at getting upgrading, but I was just like, but I like my stereo yeah. monitors. Yeah. And I just had to be like, yeah, I'm using stereo, and he was just like, "Oh, you can't use that, man!" Like, "Oh, you gotta," get... and I'm like, "Yeah, I know." It's just, yeah, but there's also something is. I hate about the like, <laughs> you got to do this. It's like, yeah. do you? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're going for something, so it's all a tool, right? Yeah. So it's like it'll make your life easier if you're trying to do something, but it's also a sound. You're like, and if it's one of those things where you're used to mixing out of it. Right, I'd you had know. that stereo for like 20 years. Right, so when you grow up like, listening to records on it, you're like, yeah. I know exactly how a record's supposed to sound <laughs> Exactly. Out of that stereo. So I, I fought that for a while, but no, now I've got HS8s. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, back to, back to your story. Uh, so, yeah, you started playing with the band and... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty early on. I think I started kind of just like gigging at like 13. Local Hells 13. Angel bars. Whoa. Um, LA every now and then all the shitty I mean you got the beard that you could you look like you could be in Hell's Angels maybe <laughs> you know I wanted a beard so bad when I was in high school I was like my goal from like eighth grade was like I want to look like ZZ Top in my senior picture <laughs> and yeah and I, I went for it and someone should have really just told me to shave because I think I could grow like a little bit around my chin maybe <laughs> oh I I definitely had years of that oh, of yeah. like saying no i'm growing a beard and it's like you you were not your face was not ready for i look at pictures i'm like i wish someone just been like dude just shave yeah i i did and i still fought it yeah right (laughs) you gotta go through it i remember a friend looking at me and just being like what are you doing man yeah i was like what (laughs) you mean my six sideburns yeah you're just jealous my holy beard thing on the yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah i go through it dude yeah it's all it's all part of like becoming a man exactly. <laughs> you know, you're just like, exactly i got hair on my face at 20 or whatever yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my beard's pretty thick now so yeah was, yeah it's I'll, all that matters fine. dude this is, it all it all catches up you know yeah well some faces just need a beard yeah and i don't know i've got one of those faces. I, i've never seen your face with i beard, I, I feel weird without it I, last yeah. time i shaved was when my grandpa passed away because he always hated my beard oh. and so i like shaved it and then i was just like I look weird. <laughs> I grew it back. Oh, man. The last time I shaved, I, I can't remember if I told this story already on this podcast. Anyway, the last time I shaved my beard full, it was it was a while ago, and I was doing a class at, at LACM that I was playing for a class, and I walk in, and the first person I saw, like I, I had just done it, and I even walked like through the door and through the school, and like nobody saw me. And I walk into the class, and this drummer kid who's sit, sitting down, and he was he was a cool, like, we were cool. But I sit down, and he just kind of, like, doing his drum thing, and he looks up, and he sees me, and he just kind of does a double take, and he just goes, whoa, you look like a pedophile. 
And I was just like, fuck, now I gotta wow. go grow my, okay, I'm, my beard is literally starting to grow in now. Yeah. And I just shaved. Well, that's like the worst thing someone could say to yeah. you, too, of like, like you a, look like a pedo. Like, yeah, I was like, what do you, how yeah. do you come back from that? No, you don't. You, you start growing a beard and you never <laughs> shave it again in your life is, for, is what's happening. <laughs> well, I'm sure you look very nice without a beard and very not pedophile-like. Oh. No, it's been confirmed, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Oh, uh, man. So, so okay, so you you start playing it at 13. At 13, you're gigging, I was gigging um, all the shitty dive bars in San Bernardino, which I don't know if anyone's listening has been to San Bernardino, and if you have, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I I played uh, Brandon Iron a Oh, bunch, shit, a no shit way. Ton. Yeah. The oh, branding yeah. iron? Oh, yeah. Man, that, that was like the, the spot. That was like, <laughs> really? that's where all the girls would want to go in high school to go sure. clubbing. I fucking hate country music. Like oh, that yeah. kind. Anyways, at that sure. time, I like it more now. Sure. And so I was always like, hell no. If there's a roller disco, I'm there. Right. Uh, but yeah, man, oh, the branding iron. That was like, because I think it was like 18 and over. Okay. Or maybe yeah, not even. Maybe it was all like 16 or something. Well, they serve food, so maybe it may, maybe it depends on how late it is or whatever, but they do have food, so yeah. maybe it's a... Because that was like the club yeah. that people would go to if they weren't 21. Okay. You know, and into country. They have a pretty big dance floor. I, I think it used to be a bowling alley, I, I heard. Really. And so that's why there's like a huge, pretty big dance floor. Uh, kind of sounds like shit in there, to be honest. Yeah, uh, right. Sound-wise, they just haven't upgraded their sound system yeah. in a while but uh it's it's one of those places that there's a lot of places like this where um the band's playing you feel like you're like a lot of the bands that i'd play there with were on in-ears and like sounds good in our ears mm-hmm. and there's there was well, one time i took my i, I like walked out because i was i was still on a wire i was on a wireless system for a little while and I, like walked out and took my ears off and i was like man this is like there's does not sound good and then like we stop and they're just slam they just slam the the house music but the band is like sounds like it's tiny oh yeah and there's yeah. so many places like that and and it, we always just get so frustrated <laughs> sometimes with the band it's like why are you bl- blasting the house music and then have the band like half is is loud you're just bumming everyone out that there's now a band right well you know? exactly and you see that too because the band will stop and then everybody goes to the dance floor. <laughs> it's like, okay, either we suck or the sound sucks in here. <laughs> I really wish I could see Maybe what it was it. like before like canned music became a thing where it was yeah. like you'd go to like go dancing, but there was a band playing. Because now it's like usually right. go see a band, but you're not like going to go dance and the band is the dance music. Well, the country scene, there is a lot of that yeah. of, of the people going to dance. But the the problem, like I'm saying, is just like, sometimes the balance mm. where they're they're not doing us any favors because they just are slamming the the house music and then we don't sound very good, yeah. big uh but yeah i'm sure it was different back whatever back in the day too yeah because you know, my uncle was a was a bassist and he still is a bassist but um you know talking about you know he's gigging every place in like the inland yeah. empire basically but you know playing until like three in the morning because they were yeah. the, the club music right you know playing all the, the hits and all sure. that and out to vegas and back you know like that circuit back then and yeah and yeah it's just like i wish i could see what that was like not knowing like because now it's almost like a novelty not the novelty but right. to experience you can't experience it the same way because djs and can music is usually right. just the thing sure you know, but yeah, and 
I'm trying to think of the other clubs that were there in San Bernardino. There, there was one I played a lot called Lyrics in downtown okay. San Bernardino. And looking back, it was like such a badass bar because it was such a shithole. It was like super punk type bar. And I don't think it was trying to be. Right. You know, it was just like the, the bathroom was always flooded. There was like rafters. We would like play these nice. shows and kids were like swinging off the rafters. And like <laughs> there was the guy in the back with the trench coat. What side was drugs? The other side was pirated DVDs. You know, like. <laughs> That's old, like a cartoon. Yeah. It was, it was. Yeah. And then Riverside, you know, it was just like. Oh, yeah. It was really fun, honestly, at a young age to get introduced to that. Sure. Because you also kind of go like, okay, this is what it is. And then you don't mind like doing those gigs later. And then also you kind of go like, well, I don't want to do maybe these gigs the rest of my life. Totally. But when you do, then you're like, oh, this is fun because it reminds me of right when I was growing up. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I never was exposed to that stuff growing up. But now that I was in that scene for a while with all this, you know, and then, and then now I'll do them every once in a while. And it's like. This can be fun. It, it it depends on the night. They can be really fun. Yeah. The, a lot of those country bars and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though it's not like my music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's still fun to get into it though, even if it's not your thing. Right. And well, and if it's all a lot of it's if the crowd's into it. Yeah. It it can be fun. Yeah. And, and if the band is is good and tight and, and yeah. into it, uh, then kind of whatever you're playing can be fun. Totally. Playing with good musicians and having with a crowd that's into it yeah uh it's it's when all those things start to fall you don't have a crowd that's into it maybe there's nobody there the band's just you know going through the motions and it's not even music that you really care about like those are the nights that's like what when am you sign i doing up for a day job the next day <laughs> kind of nice. definitely think about it yeah uh, yeah, I feel yeah. Yeah, take me back through some of those. Do you got any stories from from gigs growing up or? Man, um, so there there was this bar called Angels Roadhouse in uh, in Ukaipa, and it was like all the '80s bands would come play. So we would open for like Rat and the Bullet oh, yeah. Boys, <laughs> but we weren't 21, so we always have to hang out outside. And then oh, when yeah. it was time to play, we could go in, set our gear up, and play. And then like. And they must have gotten rolled a few times because it did not seem like dudes that would give a shit about yeah. any of that. You know, and these big old bikers would be, like, escorting you to the bathroom to make sure you're not, like, buying beer as a 14-year-old. Like, you know, I don't know. But they were the coolest guys, you know. And, you know, I had long hair at the time, and all the long hair bikers always be like, cut your hair. Look like a girl. You know, and they had long-ass hair, too, you know. And <laughs> it, it was this, yeah. And uh, fortunately, that place got torn down because there was a crazy bar fight there that oh. ended really bad so it ended up getting torn down but there's just so many fun memories at the time of like everything was so new and I, yeah. I I'm in my process of life but as a musician I'm always trying to become more childlike of that like the wonder of it all and like right. you know going on stage and your guitarist just got a half stack you know and like that feeling of like and you saw Motley Crue the weekend before so you're like you're playing it for the excitement of it and not losing that, which I feel right. taking a, a lifetime career in music, you can get easily jaded sure. to it. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I feel, I feel lucky that I was able to play so much in, you know, starting like right out of middle school, kind of starting ninth grade wow. through high school that, you know, I was playing a lot. And then, uh, whether it was like at, in the quad at school or, 
school events or whatever club that we could, you know, was 18 and over or all ages or whatever. And there was only a couple, but getting to, getting to do that. I think the, the, the nights that, that club lyrics were probably like the most funny of like, it's like somewhat scary at that time. Cause especially growing up, like in the mountains, you don't like, aren't, you know, like used to seeing dudes like slinging drugs, like at a trench with, you know, out of their <laughs> trench coat right. and stuff. But like those just stick with you. And this, the energy, feeling the energy of, of like a crowd, like stage diving. And like, it was like right. The, at the, right at the beginning of hardcore. Okay. Um, and getting to experience that or, or like play the whiskey a go-go, I think when I was like 13 or 14 and, Oh, wow. When you know, That's so crazy. it was cool. You know, it was really cool at the time we packed the place and, you know, just re- remembering that feeling of like realizing how many people came before you on a stage like that. Sure. And wanting to honor that, you know, and also like channel that. And you don't really know what it means at the time. You're just like, oh my gosh, this place is legendary because so many people have played here. Yeah. And I, I love that about... Uh, about studios. I love that about different bars like Vesuvio's in San Francisco. I love getting a drink there when I'm in, in town there because that's like you know, Dylan would hang out there and Kerouac and David Crosby and you can feel like the stories that were told and seeped into the walls. The same in studios. And you can There's yeah. like a vibe to certain studios that you can tell some great art was created there and there's like a an orbit that remains or something. There's a gravity to it. I think so too. Yeah. I've had a couple of those experiences too, where it, I, I don't know, you don't know if you imagine it a little bit, but mm. like, it, you definitely feel something, whether you're imagining it or it's or it's real. Yeah, that you feel something, and yeah. it's cool. To but be it inspires in you, so it's like, yeah, and that inspiration's real. Yeah, you know, and I think that's always so important to always remain inspired. Yeah, I was once, <laughs> uh, I was recording up in. Uh, uh, London Bridge Studio in in, in Seattle. Uh, in Seattle. Oh man, that's on my my bucket list of places to track. I've always wanted that place looks oh it's sweet. It, it was yeah, it was a dream. I I didn't even know we were like it was a tour up the coast, and then they were like, yeah, we're gonna record some songs up in Seattle, and I, I they didn't say they didn't give me any details or anything. I found out like on the drive. Uh, and like they were like, yeah, I was like, oh, what's the studio? And I looked it up, and I was just like. Holy shit! Like Allison Chains recorded at the studio. Like, yeah, what? That was and, like Pearl Jam and like all that, right? Yeah, like Temple of the Dog was oh, yeah. there. I, I don't know if Pearl Jam. I can't remember if they had a, a record there. Maybe they did. Um, but Temple of the Dog definitely did, and like Blind Melon, and even more recently, like Fleet Foxes and stuff. Yeah. So I was just like flipping out in the car, like, holy shit, we're recording at like a legit studio. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I remember uh, just because what you were talking about, just the story popped in my head. Like I had, to, I had to do a bass solo on one of these songs and I just felt like one of the takes, I just like channeled, like I felt like I channeled something. And like I just had this weird burst of energy during one of the takes where I just like kind of was out of my mind and I finished and I remember like everybody kind of looking at me like what was that kind of thing and I was just like I don't know but I felt something on that and they were just like that's the take and then so that was definitely one of those times where I don't I don't know what that was but I maybe uh Lane Staley was in there like rubbing my shoulders or something I don't know bass player for Allison Chain's name I'm blanking on it now and uh oh shit. 
was I'm, just watching their unplugged yeah. performance. And the dude just rips so He's hard. great, and I, I'm a bad fan for not knowing his name. Um, I can't ever remember anyone's name. Yeah. It is what it is. I don't remember. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, like, one of the, the coolest experiences yeah. for me. But, sorry, back to your uh, gigging and stuff. Like, back to your story. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I keep feel like I'm hijacking your stories. No, no, no. I love the, no, it's just like, to me, it's the best stories are the ones that come out of conversation. Because yeah, that's when totally. you like, rem- for me anyway, it's like when I actually remember something where I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this. Otherwise, I'm like, okay, this one time at band camp. Right. We, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> or whatever. No, totally. Yeah. That's what this whole, the whole thing's about. But, uh, yeah, that's crazy that you, like, I didn't start gigging until much later like actually gigging. So that's interesting, like being 13 and being out. I mean, how do you think that like shaped your like experience with music, just like starting so young like that? I mean, one, it it reaffirmed that I was like, this is all I want to do with my yeah. life. And um, I don't know, it was, it was interesting because then I didn't gig for a long time. Once I hit 18, okay. I... Uh, I left the country because I was sick of, I was so sick of the town I grew up in. I just okay. like went to Ireland and around Europe with the money I'd saved up oh, through wow. high school until I got really sick and had no money and then begged my mom for some money to fly home. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? But no, she, I didn't have to beg her that hard. She was very kind of How like, old were you during during all that? What? Um, 18. Eight, 18, you yeah, left the country yeah, for- like when I graduated high For school. like a few years? No, I, I was my, that was my goal. I think I made it from like September till December. Okay, so it was a quick thing and then you got sick? Yeah, and ran out of money. This year yeah. was expensive and sure. I, I could have got. I was like, I'm going to get a job there. I'm going to do this. Right. And then, uh, yeah. I, and they're like, you're an 18-year-old American. Like, we're not giving you a job. My like, first time like leaving home <laughs> and just realizing like- things are different when you can't like just pick up a phone and call someone and yeah it's great though because i mean it's like that's radical self-reliance thing which is like especially then you just i had a prepaid phone like for an emergency yeah. uh, like my mom got me in case i like got into trouble but sure i had one you, of those in high school oh yeah but <laughs> this one was like an international one so it was like you know expensive okay. you yeah. didn't really have that many minutes on it so it was like you just had to figure shit out and like missing trains and being like I don't have money for the next one and like uh, figuring it out, figuring yeah. it out. And it, it's, it's good. It's good for you, you know, to get out and do that. Then, uh, yeah, the weird thing was like, once I got back, you know, I'd, I'd still practice drums and stuff, but I got, I think I got burnt out or not burnt out. It was just the thing. The problem was in high school, I was so serious about it and no one else was quite as serious. Sure. Like, they'd be into it. Then they'd be like, Oh, my dad grounded me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? We have a gig. <laughs> like, grounded like what's what like yeah go to the gig what are you talking about or like they'd get a girlfriend or something you know it was like that kind of typical shit when you're right. like trying to start a band and and um i got back and uh <laughs> funny my, my dad works in in construction and like you know doing like uh land management and overseeing projects and stuff um and he was uh, I needed a job when I got back, so he was going to set me up to be a, an apprentice to work on, like, tractors. Okay. And um, it was New Year's Eve, the day of New Year's Eve, and the guy called me on my way. To, I, like, went and bought some steel toe boots and did the whole thing, and then, like, the guy was going to be replacing filed workman's comp so they couldn't hire me. They would just, they'd get, like, sued. Oh. And then I was just like, well, shit. And it was, it, man, I owe so much to my mom. 
she was just like, why don't like I help you find grants and stu- get a student loan and like go to music school? Because I was just like, fuck college. Wow. No way. Like um, had a whole thing about like the the uh, education system as like a money making institution. Sure. <laughs> kind of thing. And um, and I worked for the Census Bureau doing mapping. So I'd drive around being like, yep, that house looks like that house. And then because I'd get paid mileage and got paid pretty well each, every day before I'd go out, I'd stop at Best Buy and buy a CD and listen to that while I did the mapping. Yeah. And I was getting really into music. And then, um, yeah, moved to, to LA to go to Musicians Institute. And it wasn't until I graduated um, and was already like working in studios and stuff that I got an email that a band was um, looking for, for a drummer and I tried out with them. And then, um, Funny enough, I'm playing the Silver Lake Lounge tonight, and that was my very first gig in L.A. And I didn't oh, gig in L.A. for like two years when I moved here. So oh, wow. I just didn't have the desire. It was almost like sure. I, I wanted to come here and like just be a student, you know, just learn, just totally. like, you know, I interned everywhere. I assisted for people. I kind of worked my way up in some studio ranks. And then once I was kind of, you know, working at some studios and stuff, then started gigging again. And that, that band um, later became a band I was in for a long time called The Rebel Light. And, um, yeah, and it was great. And that turned into a whole new learning experience. And then I was gigging, you know, across the country with them for like five years. Oh, wow. Any stories from that? Oh, my God. God there's got to be a million, right? There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot, man. Um, I just, you know, it was, it was a while before we got out on on the road. It wasn't until we got signed. But I remember there was so many, like, the funny thing is I never wanted to live in LA growing up outside of LA because it had this weird stigma to me of like sure. the, the show business stuff. But there's unique experiences that you can only have in LA. Totally. Like, I don't know about you. Growing up, I was a huge Rage Against the Machine fan. Huge, like, yeah. Huge. Me too. So I remember I was playing at the Satellite, RIP. Um, oh, man. And we, you, you one, of our fallen, one of our fallen soldiers. I have here. a feeling he's coming back. I hope so. I, I but really they totally think, ripped the whole stage did they? down. Yeah. But the stage is still there. They took the sound system down. No, they ripped the stage. They did? Out. Yeah. Oh shit. I thought it was gonna be like a we'll just keep it here and then there's gonna be a grand reopening and everyone's gonna come back. No, they Damn. completely gutted the whole stage. So unless shit. they unless they build another stage which seemed kind of unlikely, but maybe. Because you know, it was like it was Spaceland. Yeah. I mean, I was it was that was like a really big moment for me the first time I got to play um uh, not Spaceland, I'm saying Spaceland, the satellite. Because I used to go yeah. every Monday, you know, and just like hang and, you know, see guys I was that were in recording at the studio that I worked at the studio for a while called King Size, which was a great studio. Oh, yeah. Here in LA. Yeah. Um, and I'd see the guys that were recording there. And, and then the first time I got to play, it was like a very big milestone for me in LA. Sure. You know, and um, I ended up playing there pretty frequently. But I remember one gig, it like, didn't go so well. And I don't think anything, like, went crazy wrong. I've definitely had, like, I remember one gig there. I started the wrong track because I was playing with backing tracks. And it was Ooh. just always, like, I don't know, for me, always, like, a nightmare and why I hate playing with anything that sure. is a sync thing where it's, like, if that goes down, shit gets fucked really, yeah. really quick. But this night, it's just, like, it didn't go that well. And it wasn't anything in particular. It was just, like, one of those gigs where you're, like, Ugh. And I opened the door into the back room and Tom fucking Morello is standing right there. Shit. And I was just like, of all the shows, like, you know, you couldn't You're go to right. the one I played like a month ago oh, here. That yeah. was great. But, you know, just having those experiences around L.A. or like, you know, going to a jazz club and like Danny Carey from Tools playing. 
Baked it, potato. Yeah, yeah baked he potato. Plays I used to see him <laughs> when I was in college. I'd see him there all the time. Yeah. You know, um, but the first time we got to, uh, the, we got signed with, um, we, we headed out uh, with a band called the Mowgli's for, uh, I think like 30 days across America. Okay. And that, man, that was just like, that was my first time doing like a tour like that, like national tour, you yeah. know? And again, milestones. Like I remember the first time I got to play like my first festival, it was like opening for the Black Keys oh, in man. New York. like. You know, well, and, I'm jealous. That's one of my favorite bands. Yeah, so. and you know, it was it was so cool, and just like you know, Poland shenanigans, where it's just like you know, we open for like the gates, you know, at that festival, you know, where it's like <laughs> gates open at twelve, and you're playing at eleven thirty for some reason, kind of thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, I mean, and it's, but still, it was like you know, to pull, like travel like to New York to play, and then like get a pull shenanigans because you just get away with a lot and I kind of grew up a little mischievous where it was just like oh like I have this badge and no one's gonna question me if I go steal that whole case of beer (laughs) (laughs) getting into shenanigans like that but being able to go leave Southern California and go witness the rest of the country I think you know we're in such a huge bubble here in LA so it's everyone's stuck in their bubble and we i think there's a thing it was like LA is so eclectic and stuff but you're you're stuck in a bubble here and getting to go to the middle of nowhere in arkansas and play and talk to people and get to learn about all the different areas for like the first time and you know so you get into this rhythm where i i love road trips i love traveling anyway yeah where it's just like you you forget that time exists or that you ever have to go home it's like the closest thing there is to like a like a drifter or or, you know some sort of pirate yep Uh, cowboy <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know you roll into town and you play and i loved it i would like you know stay up drinking and till early in the morning be up early the next day jogging around checking out all the sites and i was just like that life it gave me was just like another one of those like checks sure. like okay this is what i'm supposed to be doing that's cool you know and 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 those memories of it like i remember we were playing in kansas city and it was storming so crazy and the guitarist and i we did the majority of the drive-in Okay. Th- that time. And then it was our turn that night to not. And we were looking outside and we knew that the rest of the guys in the band were probably going to be like, start driving, but then ask us to. And we're like, this is our night off. So let's have some beers. And we just like drank. So we're just like, can't drive. Like, you're going to have to deal with And there was like tornadoes going through. Oh, man. And so it was like, you know, driving the from Kansas City to Denver and just, <laughs> you know, those those kind of things that you get into and the like, funny like fights that you get into because one guy's like pissed off that you're up late and you're like fuck you dude we're playing like rock and roll and we're on tour or like <laughs> sleep when you get home you know or like all all those things and just all the memories and friends that you make in places and all the rowdiness you have and you know having other bands stop you from jumping in the lake in vermont because you're kind of just like on a good one and like i'm gonna go <laughs> swimming in the middle of april and or february in vermont and yeah this just it's like I tend to remember a lot of the 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 feelings than some of the specific experiences sure. from that of just like that that open road that you know anything's possible kind of thing you know I definitely like remember we did like a one off in in Philly and you know, it was like a bigger festival and I was like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, sound checked early in the day and I was geeking out because uh, Ludwig, like, 
got a kit down there for me and it, the last time it would have been used is Questlove used that kit at the DNC Damn. and I was just like oh fuck you know and one of those <laughs> like I, I feel like I played better that night but <laughs> walking out and then realizing like there's 4,000 people out there yeah. I don't remember the first song at all like I kind of like right. started the track and like it ended and I was like did I fuck this up? I don't even remember what just happened. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you blacked out. Yeah, you like black out for <laughs> Time it. Time travel. Yeah. And, but later what, what I, what I learned too is like a lot of times that like kind of blackout thing is like a flow state. Right. That you get into. And I feel really lucky in um, my current band, the Blood Moon Howlers, we did a lot of touring in the, in the Southwest. Yeah. And um, I remember the first time we went out, we drove from here to New Mexico, and it was uh, a band I play in called Paracosmic, which is like a jam band, and Blood Moon Howlers and a visual uh, light show called a uh, group called Stranger Liquids, which is amazing, like you, analog, you know, these like food dye on projectors. Oh, cool. And we're, uh, we're playing some shows on the way out to Taos, New Mexico to play a festival and coming back. So we're all in one van. We got like a sprinter. We were in a sprinter. And that same feeling, because it had been a while, I hadn't toured after I had left the the Rebel Light and just was mainly focusing on doing, I was producing a lot and doing a lot of recording at that time. Gigs around LA and, you know, like residencies and gigs around LA until you get kicked out of a bar because apparently you bring too many people in and it's not my, you know, like <laughs> people Wait. get in a fight and they put <laughs> it on you and you're like, fuck you, I'm bringing you business on a Sunday. I don't even know who these right. people are. You know, all the fun kind of sure. <laughs> things of playing at dive bars and whatnot but just that sense again of being on the open road and like you're with like your crew like we you know had no money and we're driving through the petrified forest and it's getting dark you know on the way through uh on the the 40 i guess that is and so we see a thing there's always all these signs around there right like free camping because they're trying to get you into the to the gift store oh and it was like right outside the petrified forest so we we park and it's a ragtag bunch of people. It's like a bunch of hippies <laughs> and like dudes that look like me with long hair and beards <laughs> and scraggier, you know, and there's like 11 of us and a dog. So right. we all unload and this lady comes running out of the, the gift store. To, no, she's just like, no, 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 <laughs> not your kind, not here. Wow. And we're like, what? Like you're kind of, is this like the sixties? Like, cause you know, and she yeah. chased us off her property with like a broom. Practically. <laughs> so we go across the street cause I was driving. I, I geek out on like packing trailers and like efficiency of weight. And I, could see and I was like, guys, we need to repack this. Cause we also need to get the camping gear out. Cause obviously we're just going to have to like find some sort of campground. So yeah. we go across the street to the other gift store, start unloading the trailer and she comes running out what I tell like freaking out and I'm trying to calmly tell her like hey we're just repacking the trailer and trust me we want to be the farthest place away from you yeah and she stands there and belittles us the whole time we're packing until everyone else in the crew they start like getting on her and she starts singing this like like this song to us where she's like no 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 you gotta go go." and then everyone just starts singing it with her (laughs) and oh man we're just like losing it and then we finally get packed up start heading down the road and find a KOA, right? And I never had stayed at KOA, and I'd always see him. And we pulled in, and I walk up. I'm like, hey, man, hey, you guys have, like, a, you guys have any sites tonight? And they're like, yeah, you know, and it was, like, 40 bucks, and you, it's, like, for all you can eat pancakes the next day. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds amazing. There's showers. And then, you know, I'm like, hey, listen, we're kind of, like, a 
a little bit of a rowdy bunch. I think we're respectful, but we're rowdy. You have like something in the corner. like, yeah, I tell you what, we got a spot that's like way away from everyone. We'll put you there. You can like stay up as late as you want. We just like <laughs> stayed up celebrating until like the sun came up, like singing songs. <laughs> we're, you know, those, those experiences like that just bring you so close with like the people you're with. Yeah. And I, I feel so lucky, like in the Blood Moon Hollers, we're like a family because of just like that's the experiences awesome. that we've had, you know, where all the like long, long nights and then the sun's coming up and you realize you have to hit the road because you're supposed to be in Austin the next day. <laughs> and yeah. those kinds of experiences and those small towns you you, you fall in love with yeah. um, and the the friends you meet. So when every time you return, you meet people and there's one town that we stop at still all the time called Bisbee and we'll play because we, you know, we've had so many friends there and it's always yeah. just like the weirdest, craziest time and Usually it's a very long night and kind of hurting the next day, but it's so, it's so worth it, you know? Right. And, and the thing, I guess the point of it all is just like, just to go out and do it. You know, it wasn't like when we first were starting in Blood Moon and Hollers, we didn't have a booking agent or anything. Really? We, but we did at, after a while, we had one that would like get us a couple shows and kind of got us out there. And then we just started booking a lot of that ourselves and just going, you yeah. know, it's got a, it's inertia, you know, to start moving and start getting out there. Cause for me, it's like, it's about, just the adventure of it, you know, and of course you're going to yeah. have like those, those shows where you play to like one person. Right. And, and <laughs> I remember <laughs> hearing the story Jerry Garcia was telling of like when the dead was playing, um, the acid tests, um, and no one, they weren't like the dead. Yeah. Right. And he was saying as an artist, how liberating that was because there was no expectation. Sometimes they'd get on stage and just freak out and leave without playing a note. Whoa. And no one expected them to play, like, their favorite song. Right. And I loved that. And I, I definitely remember, like, there was some people that would get, like, really bummed, like, oh, there's, like, no one here. I'm like, no, this is great because it's not always going to be like this. So tonight can be whatever we want it to be. Right. So maybe that's the night I eat some mushrooms and we play a three-hour set. <laughs> and it turns out amazing. And one guy at the bar is really into it. And he's standing <laughs> right here in front of your face and there's no one else in the whole place, you know? But... You're making the most out of the situation because it's like if you're in it for the long haul, it's like you learn to enjoy those shows where it's like you're in a random town, you are playing to one person in a bar. Yeah. They charge you for a beer afterwards, and all you can do is <laughs> laugh at it, you know? Right. You get kicked off Airbnb the next day. <laughs> you know? And yeah, it's... Sorry, I feel like I, I don't even remember what the point was that we started. No, I, I love just, just riffing off, off tour life and all that. I think that you, you painted a great just picture of like the adventure and the randomness of it. Uh, I, I, I couldn't help think of when you were talking about the, the lady chasing you uh, off the property. <laughs> I couldn't help think of a story. It's not, not exactly the same, but and maybe you have a... Maybe you have a similar story, but we I, I was on tour uh, with a band. This one I'm totally going to remain nameless because, yeah. you know, stuff happened. But uh, we're, we're at this, like, cool little town um, in the Pacific Northwest and played this, like, really kind of hip little venue and, like, everybody was, like, super nice and, like, my bass amp had just like died so like i they, they like lent me a bit somebody like went to their like rehearsal studio to like bring me a bit it was uh, just everybody was just like super nice yeah. small town atmosphere and you know nice little crowd everybody was into it 
we're hanging, like made friends with all these people. And then like, you know, we're, it was one of the last nights of, of our tour or one of the last shows. So we were like, and we had all been like pretty well behaved and we were just like, let's have a good time tonight kind of thing. We're all drinking and like, uh, and we didn't have to drive until the next morning. So it was like, well, we can stay up and yeah. it's all good. And, uh, we ended up going to this like old, like it was like an art space. Like every, all these different people had like rooms. It was like at a warehouse kind of a thing. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know really how it happened, but like my, one of my bandmates, like we were just like exploring this art space kind of thing. And we ended up, I was just like walking around and I, and I find my guitar, the, the guitar player and he was like spray painting this wall. And I was just like, what you doing, dude? And he was just like, I don't know, just, I saw some spray paint and, uh, you know, I was just like, is that, do you think that's cool? And he was just like, he just kind of like, look, gave me like, he looked around, like, he's like, look at the place. Like, who cares? Like, it's a, you know, it's just like an art space. And I was like, all right, cool. And he was like, here, you want to, you want to spray something? <laughs> and I was just like, uh, I felt weird about it, but I was just like, well, he sprayed, he, he painted this wall and I think he put, you know, the name of the band kind of thing. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And I had my own band at the time and I was like, oh, I'll put my band's name. <laughs> and I just like found, there was just like this brick piece of the wall and I just spray painted the brick. So we just go about our night and I think one of the guys that was with us even saw it and was like, oh, cool. You know, like, and we're just, I was just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we didn't just like, I, I was a little nervous there that we just did something wrong. Uh, and we go about our night and like, uh, it was like, it was a fun night kind of thing. And we wake up in the morning and then, and we went back to like the venue had like a breakfast kind of a thing that we heard was really good. And we go in and we just get like these like dead eyes at us. And we're, we like walk in like laughing. We just yeah. had a great night. We're about to hit the road and have a nice breakfast. And we're like these like LA people like laughing. And like, we I just kind of, we just kind of look around and everybody's just kind of like glaring at us. <laughs> we're like, uh, we're like, Hey guys, what's going on? And like when it goes, oh, you fucking assholes. Oh, and you just like, like storms off and we're just yeah. like, what was that? And then somebody else comes up to us and was like, you guys totally fucked up our art space, man. Like you spray painted that brick wall and, and I was, I was there scrubbing it all night because our people are freaking out and going to kick me out. And I was just like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, and we had, we. I mean, we spent like an hour and a half like apologizing and yeah. like offering to like buy, like pay for stuff. And we ended up leaving that place like tail between our legs. <laughs> like we thought we were had like this great time and we just all like had this like silent like <laughs> drive off like, oh, oh we totally fucked our like up this little town that was like so nice to us and we thought we had a great time and and uh oh. that was just one of the and and it was like i remember one, one of the guys in the band was like who had nothing to do with the whole thing was just like you know what like every trip you know you gotta have some kind of drama yeah and you know we that we hadn't had anything yet and i think i was just like yeah i guess that's maybe a good perspective 
Uh, but I was the one who did the brick, so I kind of feel bad. <laughs> and I had no idea. I, I had no idea that. Like they, they didn't care about the wall. The wall, the of wall course, they were, like the it was just a little brick. And to make it worse, it was my band name. <laughs> it wasn't even like I just like it was like oh yeah, all you have to do is look up that. Band. You know, exactly. Fuck these guys. Are yeah. This down again. So. Oh man. Yeah, those. You know, I feel lucky. Like, I don't think we've ever gotten into too much trouble. There was there was one time I was playing, and uh, one of my bandmates we we had a. We had a night. We had yeah. like a good night, but a very late night, and <laughs> and uh, and you know, there's a bunch of people like crashing in the room that the venue kind of put us up at, and uh, and he was in the other room. I was like crashing with some friends, like we're all just like sharing a bed, and and he walks in, or I just hear my friend. She's just like, it's like. Hey, guy's name. What? What are you doing? What are you doing? It wakes me up. It's like, my friend. Does he normally do that? And I look up. And he's just pissing in the armoire. Aww. And and <laughs> does he and normally I, do that? <laughs> look at it. Oh part yeah. Was, oh, that's he normally yeah, does that. I was just like, yeah, uh, and just like fall back to sleep. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's so out of it. He's just like. <laughs> checks himself in the mirror like is like hey like the full on things he's in the bathroom. Oh and it's one of those like you know we clean it up and then we're just like we should get out of town. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before anyone knows what happened. And then you get chased like I, I you feel like it's that scene from the movie where you just get chased out of town with, pitchforks with like pitchforks and, and, exactly. Yeah this uh, like country we, music playing. That's what I always like to imagine, you know, I think when you're when you're on the road a lot, it's like you like to make up stories. I know in, in Blood Moon Hallers, we definitely like to dramatize our life and our tour band. We call it the Blau. <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah, we were one of these days where we always want to make it look like a Mad Max car. So that sure. way it's just like, and when you roll into a town, you like raise the pirate flag, <laughs> you know, so everyone knows yeah. that you're coming in town or you know when you're on up. the freeway, people like, they know and, you know, they, they like out. Right. I mean, you don't want to advertise that there's expensive gear in your cow, car in your yeah. van usually i would say is the one thing yeah so one thing about like putting like a band name on the the van it's just like, it's like might as well just put expensive this. gear in here you know what they need to do is they need to make like cargo covers that look like recycling or e-waste Ooh. you know like it's like a blanket you put over but it just looks like a bunch of junk man that's a good idea actually yeah <laughs> and actually i'm trying to think when was the last time oh man we just recently played in Salt Lake and uh, on the way out, like leaving LA, which it used to be as long if you left LA at 10 a.m., you'd be fine with traffic heading to <laughs> Vegas. Now that's not the case. Oh. So there's traffic all the way till North Vegas from here. Yeah. And as soon as we started, the air conditioning broke. Oh, I think you were telling me about yeah. this. Oh, sh- and so, like, oh, we're dying. We're like, get sick because it's like yeah. 102 and and you're in traffic so you're just like stopped right you in don't the even the desert. get like at least the airflow so we're like stopping and i get like some plastic bags at the gas station and some ice and we're just like putting plastic wow. bags of ice all over us oh man but on the way back um i feel like the the, the van just looked like a mess because we just had like clothes everywhere we're like <laughs> trying to just cool off and so we stopped it was the guitarist Matt it was his birthday and he like really wanted to go to Cabo Wabo <laughs> and so we stopped in Vegas on the way back and we're like parking I'm like looking at the car I'm like oh shit you think it was gonna break in and we're looking in it just looks like a bunch of shit <laughs> just junk everywhere we're like okay yeah. I think we're good 
which by the way, that um, it was Matt's birthday. We were like, we go to Cabo Wobble, right? And when I tell, like, Matt goes to the bathroom and I tell the waiter, I'm like, hey, it's this guy's birthday. Like, we just drove, um, uh, you know, from Utah and like we didn't have any air, you know, but it's, you know, then you do something special for his birthday. And the guy's like, bro, I got you. So Matt isn't drinking. He like, he's just like, yeah, I need to stop for a while. So he isn't, he isn't drinking. Yeah. And so the guy comes up, he's like, hey, man. You want some birthday shots, bro? And like, mind you, we're in like Cabo Wabo in Vegas. Yeah. And Matt just like, like, no, I'm good. And like, I've never seen a waiter just look so sad. Oh. He just, and he didn't come back and talk to us the rest of the night. Like, I, I thought he was going to bring us like some churros or some ice cream. Like, they, right. Like, I want to like, what they bring kids. Like, I actually just want some like ice cream, all of us, you know? Right. But I was like, never seen a waiter look so defeated. I was, I was like, dude, I think you might be the only guy that was just like, denied like free shots at Cabo Wabo in Vegas because you know I'm like this is like I guess where people like probably just go to get free shots right you know I love it I love like tripping people out like that that's a bummer (laughs) (laughs) that that waiter just quit and never came back I'm never I'm never waiting uh, again he rethought his life there (laughs) yeah now now he's a famous writer and (laughs) finally pursued his dream his name was Jack Kerouac (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh oh man, that's crazy. Do you uh I mean do you have any like I love your tour stories. Do you have any other like just any like I think you were telling me on the way in, like you just had a lot of stories of like everything went wrong, you know, kind of thing. So the best was um in that band I was, I was telling you about called Paracosmic. We we yeah. played a lot of underground parties. So okay. any kind of like warehouse party in LA you can think of and like desert parties. So okay. like big gatherings out in the middle of nowhere, you know, kind of like Burning Man type scene, but not necessarily Burning Man. Sure. I think like Moon, there's this thing called like Moon Tribe, where it's, you know, it's just like locations announced at the last minute. And we would play so many of those and they were always just the most janky thing because it was always like the promoters never knew what they were doing. Like it was out in the middle of nowhere and there was never any like, proper facilities and stuff. And sometimes they, they would go really well. And there was a few, especially out in Joshua Tree, that were really beautiful and really fun. But there was one, and we're like in the desert, somewhere between on the like near Barstow or something, outside of Barstow. Yeah. And um for some reason it was this like freak storm. It's just like hailing. And yet there were still people out there dancing, like going nuts and like you know, sound systems are going down and it's like one of those and you just like keep playing and you just keep playing. And it's fun because it's like after those, like you're not for picky again about (laughs) gigs. And I've had so many of those where it's just like underground festival parties where like the best to play because it's like, okay, yeah, you can play well when you got proper monitoring and like on a drum kit that isn't falling apart on you. But what if you don't have any of that and it's 120 out? And, you know, and you got dust blowing in your face. Can you still kill it? (laughs) And you got to do this tripping balls and trying to climb on the stage. Right. And, like, knocking the guitar's pedal boards over. (laughs) And, like, all those. uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely you you can easily get burnt out. I think COVID, the thing I did enjoy about COVID was just, like, taking a break from, because I was playing those a lot and a lot of, like, kind of town gigs and stuff where it was like they're really fun for a bit but then it's like nice to take a break especially like 
underground warehouse parties, some can go really well and some can just be weird as hell where it's just like, right. you know, whether it's like because it's getting rolled by cops or other ones are really fun and you just play till the sun comes up and it's great. Or I remember once a friend of mine hit me up uh, that he got hired to be like uh, um, kind of like the MD for this like dance performance. Okay. And uh, this, this girl was put on like in, like a interpretive dance kind of thing. And so we went to like this like art warehouse in downtown to like rehearse. And there was like all these dancers with all these like costumes kind of half naked with like animal thing. I don't know. It was just like very like eclectic <laughs> kind of thing. And she'd just be like, okay, play fire. And it was actually, it was really cool to be like, okay, like we're just on the spot. Like right. what would win sound like as a band, you know, and my friend, yeah. Heaven, he's he's so good with that and like creating soundscapes and fill it in with the drums and just like that's cool electronic drum machine. So it comes time for the gig and the gig's supposed to be like an hour and a half or something. It's the uh, the venue ends up being the back of a of a Thai or Vietnamese restaurant in downtown LA. So we're already like okay, but it's like closed off and I like can squeeze my little kit in the corner and you know my little drum electronic drum pads and stuff. So we start playing. It's going really well and like. We hit this last song where it's just like the energy is really building and we just like hit a really good groove. And that hour show turns into like three. And by the end of it, people are just like, <laughs> people were just like naked, probably <laughs> look like they're having sex. Um, there was like mock <laughs> sacrifices going on and we're just sitting in the back and I'm like, what the fuck? But this is like really cool, but also like, what the, what the hell is this? You know? Well. <laughs> yeah. Just those random. How did it go from from that? Like, like take I don't know. I I, I guess I want I want more information. So it's like for a, for a lot of these parties are very like new agey and like in the like very freedom of expression and your sexual energy and right. stuff. And it can be really cool. And it's like a lot of people just like expressing themselves. And so I think it goes from that of like these people like expressing their interpretive kind of movement and dance of it being like these animals they're channeling or whatever. And I guess it's like that combination of the energy they're putting out and the music we're playing where it just got like really primal, like yeah. all of a sudden. And it was, yeah, it was really cool, but it was such a trip to like be thinking you're just playing like this hour gig and like back wow. of a Thai restaurant for like a dance performance and like turns into that. And so, yeah, it's like actually thinking back to it now, I'm like, oh shit, maybe that's just like the power of music where... <laughs> You know, or, or there was something so in the air, There's like getting yeah. everybody uh, a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, from your perspective, behind the drums, where you're like, "Oh, we're at an hour," and then like another two hours, like that whole time, are you just like flowing, or are you like, "What's going on? Like, why, why no, are we still I mean, playing?" <laughs> I was both. I mean, it was like there was one point I was just like, "You guys gotta slow it down because I gotta take a piss." Like. Right, like, yeah, two I hours could not, pee. Oh, my God. And I then couldn't. it was just like, you just keep playing. You know, I remember yeah. reading uh, Grandmaster Flash's autobiography when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And, like, his thing with, like, the DJ is, like, you never, like, lose, like, let there be silence. Like, you keep right. the groove going. And so I always like taking that, especially, like, when putting together sets of, like, sure. let there be downtime. There's downtime is intentional, like, right. to talk or something right. like that. To me, it's always, like, there should be a soundscape going. There needs to be interludes. And as a drummer, it's just, like when you're doing um, especially very improvisational things and jam sets, it's like you're yeah. always keeping the groove going even when you're not playing. 
right. you're just like, you got to keep it moving like a DJ set. Right. You know, it's never just like they're playing a song and then stop and then they put on another record and stop. It's just like it's interweaving and the good good DJs anyway, like, you know, they're cutting and mixing and and you're doing that, especially with an instrumental thing where it's just like you're starting off with like an idea, like, you know, a phrase, a key, a groove, and then it can morph into something totally different. But you're just taking people on a journey. And, you know, there was there was this wonderful festival out in um, Pioneer Town out by Joshua Tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, called it was called SoCal Psych Out, and it was like 500 person festival, and my band Paracosmic would play um, every year, and it was this it was a really good like tight knit group of musicians from LA that would go out and play, and like it was just such a good vibe. But there was always just like such magic. I remember the last year that they had it before COVID hit, we like all put on like these like spacesuits that the guitarist and his girlfriend made, and we just played a set where. It just, it, when we were done, it felt really good. You know, it's one of those where you, like, start, and with that music and Paracosmic, it, like, weaves in and out of each other, and, like, some songs can be, like, the same. You know, we have, like, songs, so we, I mean, there's, like, kind of road markers in it. Sometimes those are 20 minutes. Sometimes those are eight minutes. And <laughs> it, it that set turns into how it was, but I would meet people, like, year, even, like, will still be like, oh, Paracosmic, like, you guys were wearing the spacesuits. I, like, came to that festival was in a really down place and like I was like watching guys set and I just like left my body. Wow. Like it's such an honor to get comments like that. Sure. You know, that your, your music's like facilitating a space for somebody to like have an introspective journey. Yeah. Or even when people make comments like, oh yeah, my girlfriend and I like, or my boyfriend and I, we like bang to this, your guys' song and you're like, (laughs) that's awesome. Like you're like creating a new energy from the music that you're creating and inspiring people to, to do something, whether that's a, an inward journey or a, you know, outward, outward or (laughs) inspiring them to, to, do something creative, you know, and I think that's like the power of live music. I think that's what a lot of people were missing during, yeah, during COVID. It's like the, the camaraderie of being at a place together where it's like, yeah, it's awesome to watch live shows on YouTube or whatever. But um, when you're in a space and everyone's like on the same kind of level Yes. And having like unique experiences, but under a collective experience, and the band is gelling. Like that doesn't happen at every show, but when it right. happens, I've I've definitely had many of those moments at live shows. And sure, just Me too. they're very transformative. Yes, and they you know it's like such good medicine yeah. for you. You know, and it's exciting to to feel it starting to come back. And it's been a huge honor to to facilitate that for totally. people over the years. You know, I definitely haven't always done that because there's some really shit shows I've played <laughs> Haven't but, <we> all? <laughs> <laughs> but the ones that go well and everyone's just everyone's just on the same page you know yes. and it's so random you couldn't you can't pick when that's going to happen because you could play the same songs every night and the same setup but there's just like certain nights where it's just like electric and everyone's tuned in on the same wavelength or something yeah and I think it's a testament to the the effect that the audience has on the band too and just on the overall vibe that like you said you could do the same set but it goes over so differently and and even you yourself feel so differently depending on the space and who's who's in it right yeah yeah that's like the best proof we have that there is some sort of like weird hippie energy thing yeah there is you know i mean i definitely (laughs) lean more towards like the hippie thing 
because it's just like it's it, it's the only way I know how to describe it, I guess. Yeah. But there is something to it because it's like the the feelings and the kind of like out of body experience. Like, do you do you see that movie? Um, Soul. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the that. Flow state. Was such a great representation of like whether you want to call it a flow state or yeah. out of body experience you have when you're playing music as yeah. a musician of just like you go to this other place. Yeah, you know, and I, I definitely have some some mem- some memories of shows like I remember the Townhouse in Venice. I've had quite a few shows there where I had those experience where you're just like you're in such a flow. It's just you're almost having like this psychedelic transcendent experience from playing music because you're just one with your craft, you know, so your form of meditation. Yeah. It's, I wish I had that more, but just, I mean, I got to be thankful that I, I've ever had it, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. and same. And um, I think nowadays it's like, you know, I used to focus so much on like the precision of playing and, you know, am I getting my cool little fills and my little licks right. off? And am I like, you know, whatever my my trip is that night that I really want to nail and like realizing, like, okay, I, I know how to do that. I can keep right. time. I'm not going to like destroy a song. It's not going to be a total train wreck. So focus on like tuning into that. Right. You know, and I think that's why yeah. it's, it's so fortunate to see um, players that do, you know, when you watch like a great play. Um, I was in India. I got to see a lot of phenomenal players. And it's that, like when you see a really good sitar player, a really good tabla player, it's like, it's not them anymore. They're like a channel, you know, like, like you were saying about that bass solo, (laughs) you you did up in in London bridge, you know, it's just like, sometimes we're just like conduits where it's like, you can't explain it. Right. You're just like, you're just there. And maybe it's, it's the Coltrane thing of the, you know, you spend your whole life studying and honing your craft so you can just turn it off and be that conduit. But then Alex Gray talks about it a lot too of like, you need to learn all that. So when you have that experience, you know how to actually translate it to the best language that you can. It's like, I like that, you know, you, you get this inspiration. And if you don't have the tools and technique to express it, you're not going to feel fully expressed in it. Right. You know, but in, in that same vein is not getting caught up in the technical aspect of it. You know, like, I don't know, I could go on about jazz and why well, I think it's kind of fucked nowadays with, <laughs> without people like Kamasi saving it and stuff. Because it's like people get so hung up on the study of jazz, the study of blues, where that right. was literally music to be transcendent. That was people's just full expression. Right. You know, and the blues being such a beautiful thing of it because it was like you didn't need to know a bunch of shit. You just played, yeah. but the thing was, it was it was just total soul. It was just total heart and mind and body coming out through an instrument. Where jazz was, these people who were phenomenal players just using their instrument as a full vessel to just express themselves and turn turn off. Like when you watch Coltrane or or Miles and these people, it was just like it's not them anymore. You know? Yeah, it's so interesting to think about how you how how you can access that space and and people that can do it seemingly at will. Uh, and how to be able to do that more. I always use like, and you were talking about like <clears throat> being prepared for that moment. I, I always use sports like analogies and metaphors and stuff. And for me, it's like if you get if you get called in, you know, to play, if you haven't done all that weight training and training your body and like learning all the plays, you're going to get called in and you're not going to, be able to perform but if you've mm-hmm. done all that busy work then when it's time to like 
actually go in and do it, like then you don't have to think about, you don't have to do all that, that like the work's already been done. Yeah. So it's like you're ready for that moment kind yeah, of thing. Absolutely. And I, it's a place I like found myself in is this last year I got so doing so much production work that I hadn't yeah. been practicing drums. Right. So I noticed lately when I've been playing, I'm thinking a lot about it because I'm rusty. Sure. And it's something I'm very excited about when I uh, get to Austin next month of like having time again because, yeah. you know, my only responsibility when I get there is, is playing music and just like dedicating that time every day to practicing because then you're not thinking when you get behind it because, you you know, you have that, whether it's the confidence or just making sure that you're all, you know, like tuned up and oiled to go. Right. Yeah, you know, you're not doubting your ability. Yeah, and you can just kind of access that easier. I, I, I felt that way too, like when I've had like a bunch of shows like in a row or oh, like yeah. kind of thing where you just go into a to playing and it's just like butter. Oh, yeah. And you're yeah. just like... And it's singing too, where uh, I don't sing a ton, but some of the bands I would say, and like I'd get to like however many shows, and then it was like, oh, I can hit those notes really easy now. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, ah, oh, I really should sing every day if I wanted this, but it's just not a priority for me. Uh, but bass too, where it was just like, oh, I could just kind of like rip things off, like flow wise, just so much easier. And it's it's a bummer to like then you know know that that's a feeling and then not have it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like oh man this is kind of kicking yourself like oh, yeah. i should have been practicing or well especially like the last uh, last year and a half now just not gig like I, i've been playing like at home kind of thing but uh what have i done two gigs since you know covid and it's just like the last gig i was like man i, I just feel rusty just yeah. performing just like you know, looking at charts and trying, it's just like, yeah, I, I definitely feel it. I, I, even though I've been playing almost every day, yeah, I still, it doesn't like, I, yeah, there's something <laughs> that doesn't feel as, as flowy. Well, there's a the thing too of like, you can also practice as much as you want, but like playing out, playing live is a practice exactly. unto itself, yeah. you know, where exactly. like, that's why it's like long tours are great because it's like, it takes you four shows or two shows or whatever. But once you get into that flow, like my hands, I'm like, I could like throw a drumstick through a, you know, a wall, <laughs> uh, you know, right. and I could pull off, like we used to pull off the craziest stuff when we were gigging all the time. Like we were just, cause also as, as a unit, as a band, you could become somewhat telepathic. I'm right. like, you, yeah. if, especially if you're doing kind of like a lot of kind of improv or, you have some freedom within certain songs, like in, in Blood Moon Howlers, we, you know, we have our, our set songs, but we have songs that we can take some freedoms. In. That's nice. And some, <laughs> yeah, it's great, cause so that way you don't go mad playing yeah. night after night. And um, sometimes those songs, like we wouldn't even do like the jam section of it. Other nights, like those jams, we were just all on the same page where someone would hear a note and then like we would all be thinking of the same like song. So like one night would go from one of our tunes into Rainy Day Woman, into Dr. Funkenstein, back into Rainy Day Woman. And we're just like, how do we even <laughs> just do that? You know, or like... Those from, are fun moments. Or from like one of our songs that's like in a very hard like triplet 6-8 feel into like a full-on like metrically modulate into it where we're just like... And my I didn't even notice my buddy 
there's a drummer out, great drummer out in Arizona where we're playing. He was just like, dude, you guys just like modulate out of like six and did this and do. And I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> it just like it just <laughs> happened. And but you do that from playing a yeah. bunch, you know. And like you could sit in your in your, you know, wherever you practice and practice all day, and get you know, not to not to hate on like you know doing that for the sake of getting youtube views because there's people who do some amazing stuff on that but it's also sure. like what's the point of it unless you're going out and playing yes no i i totally couldn't agree more that there's there's got to be a there's got to be a balance of those things well, i guess it depends on what you're trying to do yeah you know but but yeah <laughs> doing those things live is it's its own thing and it's not it's there's no like substitute for it really yeah. like you were saying like a YouTube show, great. It's it's awesome for its own thing, but it's it's just not the same. Man, that was really good practice uh, for the Blundman Howlers over COVID. Is like right away we're like, you know, obviously okay, can't play live, but we want to keep putting stuff out. We had two singles coming out oh, as soon yeah. as COVID hit. Yeah, and we're like, so uh, the first like live stream, quote unquote, was live to tape, and you know, but. It was rough because we realized it made us get so much tighter live because normally it's like you play live and it's like tight and it's good, but you don't hear it under a microscope of a live stream when you're fully mic'd up. And it's basically like recording studio precision, but performative aspect of of live. And that first one we did, we all were like, oh, we got to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. And that was like one of those leveling up moments. That's like one of those epochs you hit where you go like, all right, what are we going to do? Are we going to become a better band? Are we going to become better players? Or are we just going to like, eh, that's fine. Very revealing. Yeah, very right? revealing. Well, that that's what the studio does. I mean, that's why people usually do multiple takes, right? Yeah. When they're recording stuff and a lot oh, of I'm times. I'm the worst with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I like going into a studio because if I'm by myself, especially demoing stuff with, yeah. with, the, with the band, when I'm sending stuff to people, it's usually... You know, I'm kind of just like, okay, you want this? Here you go. Give them a few different options. When it's like blood moon stuff, I'm like we just did a song. I think I did like 70 takes. Oh my god! Because I was like trying to figure until it was like a lot of them were right, but like it wasn't right. You know, until like yeah. the right thing fit, and it was just like you push play, and you're like, yeah, there it is. There's the feeling I was right. looking for. Well, I've definitely had guitarists like trying to do a solo who wanted to do 70 takes. And, uh, you know, you have to cut them off at some point or, you know, diminishing returns. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, okay, dude, like how many times are you going to try this solo? Like seriously. <laughs> well, I think it's the important part of having your own studio. And that can be like, you know, just a, an interface in your laptop. So you can do sure. that work before you go in and track. Yes. I've definitely been on the other yeah. side of the glass when I'm recording people that, you know, there's this old mentality I think people think of like go in the studio and figure it out. It's like usually that it was like the band was hired and they weren't the band, the actual band. So they were already tight and had it locked right. down and then maybe they'd be figuring out some stuff or it was the era of like $600,000 budgets and you'd be writing the record in the studio. Sure. And like, you know, I, like I'm like, listen, man, I've, I'm no problem. Like, doing this with you but like i don't want you to waste your money <laughs> kind oh, of man. thing sometimes there's those where you're just like i mean i'll sit here and hit record yeah. as long as you want but like 
do you want to like go practice and come back yeah. another time? You know, that's it's a tricky. And that's why, especially as a drummer, man, I'm always like, man, being a drummer is like the worst for like if you're somewhat of a quasi hoarder anyway, because it's like you just need so much <laughs> gear to record your drums. You need a space to track it in. But you're a drummer and a studio owner. Oh, God, so so those are both the biggest gear yeah. order. I, I got it all packed up. It's all in cases and boxes and tope. I like organized it so well, and I'm looking at all of it. And I'm going, how? How did I get so much stuff? And like, yeah, the, my like essentials that I'm bringing to Austin. I'm leaving a lot of my studio gear here in California. It, that's even too much. Where I'm like, oh shit, this isn't all going to fit in the trailer, oh, <laughs> you know. Man. But I, I feel so lucky to have that because, you know what I'm saying? I'm doing 70 takes. Like I would never do that on studio time. Sure, of I course. love like it's yeah. like that I have my own space so I can like nerd out on like one verse that I just want it to be ever so slightly different. And you're just like messing right. with like where exactly the drums are sitting in relationship to the click or yeah. little, little tiny parts that probably aren't that important, but are, yes. you know, and I, it's, it's great to have a space to like do that. So when you go into the studio, you're just like cranking it out. You know? Right. Well, there's also the other, just the other side of that argument of sometimes it it's good to have somebody else recording you because you you won't do 70 takes. Oh, I love it. You know? I love, like, you know, working with Jacob Skiba has is, is been amazing because I also have always have so many ideas. That's just really nice to have somebody just to answer it right away. Just be like, yeah. hey, man, this ride symbol or this ride symbol is, and I don't like that one, cool. Because I'm, like, indifferent to right. either, but I, I'll waste too much mental energy right. on small decisions. Just to have someone there to go, I like that. And it's like, sweet, you like that, and I also don't not like that. Or <laughs> You yeah. know, it's like sometimes just to have another just when it's yourself, you can definitely second guess. Or just an outside ear, you know, because yeah. we'll be, you know, we, we track, Blood Moon Hellers, we track together as a band, like for our records, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, maybe it's like, you know, we'll, we usually like, because, you know, Jacob will help us with like an arrangement, then we'll like do a couple takes just to figure the arrangement out, then we'll be like, okay, let's like record it for real kind of thing. And then like something won't be quite feeling right. And I'll be like, oh man, am I like, like... Russian or dragon or this and that and he's just like hey man why are you changing the kick pattern on the pre-chorus just keep it the same and I'm like okay and I try it and I'm like oh there it is you yeah. know we're just like that outside ear where totally. sometimes it gets the best of us being like creative musicians that's like I gotta make it un every little piece unique or something and sometimes right. it just needs to be like remove <laughs> and it's for me anyway it's always like removing things sure yeah, I mean that's what you know the benefit of a of a of a producer or or just a good engineer yeah. who's kind of doing but you know listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. Oh man. I I couldn't help think just like being prepared going into the studio. Oh yeah. And I just I just couldn't help think of I'll I'll just say the worst client I've ever had here at the <laughs> at the basement. Uh, most of my clients have been awesome and amazing, and I'm so grateful. But I I did have this one girl who uh, well first she she just totally flaked on me, uh, you know like booked a time day of, and I was like all right, and then just like didn't show up, mm -hmm. which it happens sometimes. Um, but then she called again. And it was a different number because, like, I always, like, if that kind of thing happens, it's only happened a few times, but I'll, like, mark the number, like, yeah. no show, you yeah, know, so yeah. I know. 
uh, and I recognized her voice. And it was the same thing where it was like, hey, do you have anything today? And I was like, it, first off, it's weird. Like, most professionals aren't aren't looking to book a studio day of, right? Yeah. Most people are like, you know, it's something that they're, they're booking ahead of time. Um, and say, it, sometimes stuff happens, you never know. But anyway, you know, it's like, oh, do you have anything right now? And it was just like, uh... Hey, did you did you call once before and not and like not show up? Like I was like driving and I yeah. couldn't think of like a better way to say it. And she was just like, "Uh, that might have been me." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, well, if you want to, like, I'm happy to give you like another chance, but like, uh, I'm gonna need you to like pay in advance, you know? Yeah, because I gotta get the studio ready and you know. So anyway, she was like, "Yeah, cool." Um. And it was one of these, I, I get a lot of these uh, people that, that come in and they just want to like sing over something on YouTube. Like they want me to just download what? some song from YouTube, like some instrumental something. Okay. And they just, they just, and I'm just like, okay, like, you're, I mean, they're not going to like release it. So it's like whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, it's pretty much just for themselves. Maybe they're releasing it. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, this has happened a number of times, but so she's just, you know, hey, uh, download this. I'm like, okay, and I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the story and make it too long of a story. But she was just like very like not like easy to work with and like not like she just her bedside manner or whatever you want to call it. Like she was just like very like not cool about like every little thing. Like you're a studio guy. Like some th- some things just take a. F- a minute to, to, to dial yeah. in or to like, and she had like no patience oh for like anything. Like she was like, put some, you know, just a couple examples. She was like, uh, oh, oh, put some reverb on my voice. And I just like have just one of them dialed up and I'm just like, all right, try that. And she just goes, uh, she goes, I said a little reverb. Oh and I was God. just like, okay, <laughs> okay try this. Oh. And it was just like, oh my, we're, it was that vibe, that, like yeah. instantly, where, um, and she had so she had nothing prepared, like she didn't know what she was. She didn't know what she was. You know, she was just like, I sing in the shower, I sing in my mm. car, like I want to record something, and so anyway, like we, I pull up something. I wish I had like video of this session because yeah. it, it could totally be a fun thing to watch, but. <laughs> Uh, so it's just my story that I have to, I have to remember it by, but like I pull something, I, I play something and she just like kind of starts like vibing over it, you know, like doesn't sound great. It's not, it's, it's okay. Like at at the beginning I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And then like she sang for like 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And then she just stops, doesn't say anything, puts her headphones down and like walks out of the booth and what, and I was just like. Okay, I guess she's done. And then she's like, let, let me hear that back. And I was like, okay. I mean, you, you can listen back in the booth if you want, but okay. And and then, like, so I'm playing something back for her, and she's like, oh, that sounds awful. Oh, what is that? That sounds terrible. And I'm like, um, that's, your voice. that's just <laughs> what you recorded it. And she's just like, um, okay, let me try it again. So same thing. Same thing happens. She comes to walks back out same thing oh that's terrible what is that and then she's like oh i like that part can uh can you just chop that put it put it in time with the beat and then just like loop it throughout the whole song 
And I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, do you just want to like redo it like in time? That might, you know, and she's like, just do it. And I was just like, okay. So, you know, that just takes a second to like line it yeah. up, right? So I'm just like yeah. trying to find, to line it up. Like, 30 seconds of me trying to find it and she just like like gives oh i'll just redo something else it's just like oh my god like get this person out of my space kind of thing like what do you think like what do you think is going through someone's head when they're just like this is what we do i'm gonna book some studio time and it's just gonna all work like right come out like i know i just know when i get uh, behind a microphone is this going to be greatness that comes out like and that's like yeah. the end of the the prep for it <laughs> right? you know that's like that's as far as it goes and it's just it, which you know i yeah. i love it because i wish i had that kind of confidence <laughs> you know her confidence <laughs> definitely took a hit at some point that day but uh well well we tried so like she kept quitting on so, like we tried this over like four different things that she had me download because she kept giving up, like being like, oh, this is terrible. Let's do this other song. And then mm-hmm. the same, like it kept at where, and it, the funny thing was that she was initially like, when I told her my rate, she was like, oh, that's not bad. Maybe I'll just book like eight hours. And I was like, hey, you're going to sing for eight hours? She was like, oh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe like three hours. And I was like, okay. And even after 20 minutes, I'm like, I got to sit here for three hours and do this, you know? So I was the whole time I'm like debating, like, how do I tell this person like to get out of here? Like, and I'll give you your money back. And like, not worth my uh, mental. Yeah. It's just like, I don't want you to my space. Like it's stressing me out. (laughs) But we got to a point where maybe we were an hour and a half in where she, it was like the third or fourth thing that we were doing that she hated what she, she did, and she was just like, I don't know how to do this. And I was just like sitting there, like, and she's just like, yeah, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Like, she was like starting to like oh realize God. it, and I was just like kind of sitting there in silence, and I was like, I mean, do you want my advice? And she's just like, okay. And I was like, well... So coming into the studio and like just having fun and like seeing what happens, like that's that can be fun, that can be cool, and like it's you know it's a cool thing to do. But most people that go in the studio have you know they they come in knowing what they're going to record or at least have most of the idea yeah. ready to record. And like the first half of that, she was listening to. And then, like, right when I got into the part of, like, most people prepare, like, she started, like, squirming <laughs> and then, like, started, like, getting up. And, like, by the end of that sentence, she was already, like, walking away from me. <laughs> like, okay, let's do this other song. And I was just like, She's okay, like, I, tr- I was trying to help. Uh, like, listen, the first step is acknowledging that, <laughs> that there's a problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> and right. it's, it's tough, you know. It's like, I don't want to be ever... I have to catch myself if not being snooty, like, oh, recording's only for people who have spent their entire life dedicated to a practice. But, like, I mean, maybe I'm jaded of living in L.A. where it's, like, everyone you meet 
does every, they're like, oh, I'm just a director, photographer, actor, musician, producer, uh, songwriter. And you're like, <laughs> you do all of that. All of those. Yes. And so it says in their business card. And you're all those 21. And you're 21. You do all those things equally well. Right. Professionally. You know, professionally. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you? no. I was just like, yeah, it's, ugh. I can't imagine, like, you know, my 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 studio situation was was unique in the sense it was more just like I do a lot of like remote stuff and, and yeah. people that would come in were, you know, I knew to some degree, um, but I've always dreaded the the thought of the like commercial studio thing yeah. of, for those reasons because I sure. I've been the engineer on some at other studios but still like there is a point you know where it's just like never had any that bad it was more like dealing with artists that they were talented to some degree but were just like asshole divas sure you know <laughs> kind of thing yeah i mean i've been really lucky for the most part and when when you're talking about uh, like a lot of the people that come in because i have like pretty low rates like mm-hmm. i get a lot of amateurs mm-hmm. and sometimes that's awesome to be yeah. to be honest like i love 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 being like someone's first studio experience yeah like that's so cool to me like i remember my first few times in the studio and it was so magical yeah. I mean, we, were ta- we were talking about yeah. that earlier and that is one of the things that kind of re-energizes me when i'm like oh this is so cool like i get to be part of this person's first time in a studio yeah and yeah. like the joy and then I mean, there's good and bad that that com- comes with that. Sometimes they don't know mic technique. They don't know, you know, what how, what they're hearing and what they want to hear and stuff like that. Uh, so sometimes I gotta like be careful with like some of the, just like the technical aspects. But uh, it it, it really what they make up for is just like the appreciation usually mm-hmm. and the joy. Uh, yeah, of course it could go real south like that one girl. Yeah. <laughs> and I got really lucky that she gave up after about an hour and a half. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be still around today if you had to deal with eight hours. Oh, my God. That. Well, no, I definitely would have. I was, de- you know, I was debating the whole time when to call it, and then, like, I just kind of kept powering through, and then, like, she finally just was like, this is this is dumb. I'm gonna, I'm just going to go. And I was just like, Okay, I'll give I'll refund you your third hour just so she had like nothing on me. Yeah, like that, I don't like, I didn't yeah. owe her anything. Don't I didn't have want to have another her. conversation. <laughs> right. So the funny thing is though, she kept calling me for more sessions. Like the next day and like many days after that and like after a bunch of just not re- <laughs> I was just like I don't, just don't want to answer it cuz it was just giving me anxiety just yeah, seeing yeah. the the person's the name number, come up, the yeah, number. Yeah. Uh, I finally just had to send her text, just like, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry. I appreciate your business, but like, I, I don't think you know we're a good fit working together." And then she still called me a few times after that. Like she was, she was like, "Okay, thanks." And then she still called me a few times more. Uh, but yeah, yeah, most well, that, people are, that's are great. Really exciting too <laughs> when it's just like, yeah. I mean, the technical thing, you know, that's I feel like that's part of the job as an engineer sure, is to like sure. help people out, right? right. So that's yeah. why you know so many different techniques yourself so because not everyone's going to have proper mic technique or know how to properly strum a guitar hit a drum yeah and can compensate for that but what makes up for like you know the the more 
amateur, you know, experience in a studio is like the willingness to learn. Yes. And the excitement. Exactly. You know, because that's something that's also kind of can be really bad. It's like you're dealing with someone who's really good, but just so like phoning it in. Yeah. You know, so they get and do their thing and they're just like, eh, and leave. Yeah. Like, Attitude is everything. We, well, we've talked to, so many oh, yeah. people have talked about that. On two the, of like my dream sessions I had that was like, 10-year-old, 12-year-old Brandon would be shitting himself right now. Is I got to record Chad Smith <laughs> oh, once, shit. and I got to record Josh Fries once oh both my God, on, on sessions. Yeah. And they were the coolest people in the world. I bet. Like, both of them, like, watching Chad Smith drum, it was this on some, it was like a bass player friend of his session. And you would have thought he was a 13-year-old kid in his garage, just wow. shredding with, like, the biggest, it's like, having so much fun. Wow. And Josh Fries, like, Mr. Play on every single record in the world, like to watch him work of like sitting there, listening to the song, chart it out, be like, cool, let's try it out. Go out there, do a take, which already sounds like, damn, there's the record. And he's like, all right, now let's really do a take, you know, and like <laughs> cr- be cracking jokes and just like the coolest guy working yeah. with like a young band. He was working with like a young band, you know, yeah. and, and you're like, that's why these people get called totally. for stuff because it's like they have the experience, but they are also just really fun to be around and re- people want to be around them. You know, so they just like Josh Freese gets called for everything, you know? Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I, and it's come up on a lot of the, these episodes, but just, just about attitude. And it, it, I think it's one of those things that even though it is brought up all the time, like you still just, it's good to be reminded of it because mm-hmm. I think we we all that have been in this industry or, or whatever you do, like it, anything becomes normal, right? Yeah. So like sometimes it's just good to have that reminder that like, oh yeah, how I act and like my attitude day in, day out really does have an effect on like how much more work I'm going to get and like people's perception of me and like, I mean, if you try to go into things with good attitude, like you're going to have a better time too. Yeah. <laughs> like it's something that you don't really think of it that much. But like if you're just trying to like have a good attitude for something, you're probably going to enjoy yourself more. Yeah. And it's, and it's zooming out and realizing like, I feel like when you're not having a good attitude, so you're taking it too serious. That'd you be, know, yeah. Where, you know, sometimes things are just miserable and you have to laugh at that too. Of just like, <laughs> sucks. And like, enjoy yeah. the fact that it sucks. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think attitude, I mean, this is, music is such an interesting like business, right? Like to be high for, because it's like, right. it's so, yes, you have to play the technical part of it, but it is so much interaction and like yeah. playing in a group with somebody, whether it's in like a band that you get hired to play in or a session that you got hired to play in is so much like the energy that you bring to that. Because there's right. a point where it's like everyone can play some degree right everyone can play well enough to be on a record let's say that's like the bar right like yeah you got the technical chops to or be play at a live gig. show or be yeah. on a record and what else do you bring you know what uniqueness do you bring you know i think for myself is like at one point i realized like i'm not gonna be steve gadd i'm not gonna be the guy that can play like every genre so i'm gonna really focus on like the genres that i enjoy playing i'm really good at and just like bring a unique creativity to that so Whatever yes. that thing is, I feel lucky that it's like the people who dig it dig it and hire me for stuff. Yeah, for that, you know, and and also when I say yes to something, I, I've said yes, so yeah. therefore I'm in it. 
There's right. no like you're in it. And you're like, well, I mean, you have to you have to have boundaries when you're working with people. Like, dude, you're only giving me like this much money. I'm not doing a fifth <laughs> revision of right. this. But you hired me for a thing. I'm gonna do it. And I, I remember, man, can't remember who it was. Really famous engineer. Hearing them talk of like they have their assistant or their manager, or whatever. When he decides he wants to work with a band or an artist, he's like, okay, like, you know. I want to do this. So to see like how much they are able to like pay and that, but don't tell me the number. Cause then it's just, whoa, he does the, the gig and the, the, there isn't a money factor in it. If you have the luxury to be able to do that, that's really yeah, cool. That's like my goal of yeah. like, where I as like, as far as like, I guess like production and, and stuff goes of like that, like, yeah, you know, you almost like you take the money ass, have someone else deal with the money aspect of it. So when you say yes, you want to work on something, you just know you're going to be taken care of. Right. And then you work on it and then it all kind of evens out because some people can pay more, some people can pay less. Yeah. I like that a lot. If, if you're in that position. Yeah. Of course you have to, you know, you have to work hard to get there, but. Right. Well, cause there's also the, you know, just feeling like, well, I guess in that situation, like he knows he's being taken care of. Like, yeah. His assistant's not going to... Like, dude, I got you 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's your 50 for your 50 hours of work. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, like, getting... Like, feeling like you're you're being fairly comp- compensated, especially in the music world or really any creative... I guess every industry, but, like, especially something creative, feeling like you're being fairly compensated is a really good feeling. Well, I think know? it's hugely important. Yeah, you know, I think there's, yeah, it's 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 everything, and even if it's not money, that you're being compensated, right? Yeah, for and something. that's why and you I know didn't what say... you're getting into going in exactly, or the person you just know they're going to take care of you exactly. Yeah, and and that's a great point. Like that, why I didn't say money, why I just said compensate, because yeah. like there are other things too, uh, especially at a gig where you're just like, oh well, I didn't, you know, money wise it wasn't like huge, but like. They gave us a really nice dinner. They gave us drinks. They, we had this great, like, hangout green room area. And everybody, you know, it was just like just having someone show, like, appreciation yeah. goes such a long way, uh, especially in the flip side when it's like, well, we made good money, but, like, they treated us like we were, like, cockroaches, like, just yeah. like, you know, whatever. I so, mean, something, actually, I feel like it was Jonas, yeah. Mutual friend Jonas Treffer, who is, fits all those criteria of like incredible chops and technical skill and just really pleasant to be around. And you like yeah. want to hire him for stuff because he's just really great to be around and you know he can do the job really well. Totally. I, I forget, I want to say it was him and I were talking about it and he kind of put that idea maybe first in my head of like to set yourself up if if the gigging thing's getting to you, right? Like you, you're feeling like you're taking gigs you don't want that uh, it's not giving you life as in like you're like well I don't want to do this gig but like I'm learning a lot right now I'm honing my chops like right. you're just because you're literally doing it because you need the money right to set yourself up with something else to provide that income so you don't adulterate the art yes because there's nothing worse than you're re- putting your whole livelihood on something creative because then you're going to start right. getting desperate for right. things and doing things you don't want to do and then you're going to get bitter at the thing that your instrument your art the thing that you love and become resentful for and it's going to turn into a job that's great yeah I've, I've totally had a similar conversation with Jonas and 
he was episode two on this podcast. If anybody wants to go back and listen to Jonas and I chat about music, but very insightful and awesome player. Um, good friend of ours. Yeah. And I'm actually excited to go back and listen to that. I haven't gotten a chance to. Oh, right on. Episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, that's a really good, good thing to food for thought. Yeah. And I feel lucky cause you know, I've never, all the jobs I've worked have always been production related, but I'm, I, I was glad that it was like after a while I, I started taking some stuff that was still taking that creative aspect of the brain, the production aspect of the brain that I, I like, but I wasn't putting it on like needing to go out and play live or needing to go record or mix people that I didn't want to do. Yeah. So that way it was supplemented. And also, honestly, it was like in the long run, it took up less time because you could right. like find something where it's like it takes one day out of your week or four hours out of your day and you're going to supplement yourself financially to cover your means so you can therefore create more art enjoy your instrument more say yes to the things you want to say yes to and i think yeah there's a there's an ego involved with a lot of us musicians of like i'm a professional musician meaning that all sources of your income come from gigging right and in today's day and age and especially in the coastal cities like it's just not doable on an easy scale <laughs> unless you're like the guy or gal that's like getting called for all the awesome sessions and fucking awesome and i think that's something to strive for right but like sure. don't let you, the ego get in the way of of destroying the art you know like right. i only all i do is play music it's like you're a musician if if you got to take a part-time job you're still a musician you're still a professional right. musician that's like what you do yeah. You know, most professional musicians out there have other sources of income coming in. Sure. You know, whether it's investments, it's this, it's that, like all the big bands, it's like it's it's marketing. The band becomes a way to promote a lifestyle that they're making a lot of money from. Right. You know, because they're selling merch, they're this and that. It's not like just the gigging, you know? It's a great point. It's a great point. And and I think, yeah, a lot of us do do fall victim to that where it's like, no. I, and, and I've been that victim to that where oh, it's same. just like I... All everything music, like yep. I, I, I would would not bend to that. But but there's other times where I've been like, okay, I'm gonna get some other <laughs> some other work too. Um, so that's that's great. And you know what else? And uh, Matt in the Blumenauer used to tell me this this story of um of Chris Cornell talking, and I, I haven't heard this interview, so I hope I'm, I'm translating it right. But basically saying like, and you know, when when Soundgarden was forming, he was like washing dishes. And said he liked it because when he would get to band practice, he was so stoked to work on music. Yeah. Because he'd just spend all day thinking about lyrics, doing this. And it's like those times where I was in the dumps and had to take some catering gigs. No offense to people who do catering stuff. It just was not for me. It made me so fucking grateful for all the other work that I do. It's a great point. You know, so then all of a sudden those gigs that you're not having so much fun, you're just having fun again. It's like go work a construction job for a bit and be like... Oh, yeah, this is actually pretty nice, you know. Wow, that's a great point. It, it, whether, whatever that thing is that you may not enjoy, you know. But you can just do. Step outside of the, the, the bubble you created for yourself where you can't see past the, the roadblock you placed in front of yourself, you know. Yeah, that's super interesting. Well, I, I, I know you got to go soon, but uh, I'm just wondering if... I, a couple things I, I normally ask people just yeah. like, because I'm always curious, like do you set goals for yourself in in your career at all? Yes. Um, 
but I try to not make them so necessarily like finite. Um, my bandmates and I were big on vision boards. Okay. One year goals, you know, six month goals, one year goals, five year goals, 10 year goals, lifetime goals. Cool. And, um, it's really powerful. I'm a big believer in manifestation and not necessarily on like a like new agey hippie, you know, woo woo kind of way. But like you manifesting to me is like you put something out, your body's going to start working towards it. Yeah, sure. You put something in your mind's eye, you're going to start working towards it. I think the five year goal aspect of like where we grew up with is bullshit because life happens. Right. You know, and so to me, there's the way I always describe is like I'm in the ocean. I see an island. And I'm like, I want to start heading towards that. I couldn't tell you exactly the route I'm going to take to get there. I just see this place I want to get to. And lately, it's more of a feeling for me that I I want to obtain. It's like, okay, I want, there's, I'm included with this. Like, I want to make music with my bandmates, my family, and and be compensated in a way that I can live comfortably off that. I want to be able to open my own studio again one day when I'm, when I'm settled, um, there's like, you know, locations I want to live. I want to be able to like live with my girlfriend in like a comfortable living location, but not like I'm going to live in San Francisco by the end of this. Cause that was my goal. I was going to be in San Francisco at the end of this year. Oh. And it was kind of a blow when the Austin thing came up, but it was like never in the like, Oh, I shouldn't go to Austin. It's like, I have to go to Austin. Yeah. You know, cause that's where life's taking me right now. My right. goal was to end up in San Francisco with my girlfriend this fall, but you know what? Life, life came up and this feels right. Yeah. So I think the goals, yeah, big and small, even, even daily, like when I get to Austin, it's going to be, uh, you know, changing my schedule. I'm not staying up super late and sleeping in super late, but like in practicing music yeah. by 10 a.m. and we're having band rehearsal by noon, you know, kind of things where those are very achievable small goals because then it makes sure. you feel good about achieving goals like I'm not going to eat sugar for three weeks. You know, like those <laughs> things are like very achievable goals and everything else is like more like working towards like a bigger goal in mind, but not so fixated on like the, this is how it's going to go. Cause I think my brain works very kind of like, I have it all figured out. It's, I'm going to do this and it's mathematical. I'm going to do this. And it's going to lead to this. And I'm going to be here. And yeah. it's never the way life works out. Right. Of course. You know, and you have to be <laughs> able to roll with it. Otherwise you're just going to fight yourself the whole time. Totally. That's awesome. I love that. I mean, okay, so in in closing, and I, I re- appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate uh, you. Thank you so much for, on here. for doing this. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Of course. You're an amazing studio, man. This is like such a awesome spot. Thanks, man. You have going on. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, just in closing, like uh, any thing you're listening to now that you want to shout out like any any good music man bumping you know i was just thinking because this tune came on the way here it's like it's rare that there'll be a song that comes up that uh i like listen to multiple times in a row or even multiple times like there'll be songs i like and i'm like that's cool but then there's one that just like hits your feels yeah um there's this song um there's this band you ever heard big red machine Heard him. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like the dude from the national, uh, dude from Bonavere. Right. And they have this new song out with uh, the dude from the Fleet Foxes because I can't oh. think of names called um, Phoenix. And oh, it's beautiful. Like, go check that out. Yeah, that one just like hits all the feels for me. Awesome. Um, another thing I definitely need to shout out is uh, my good friend Evan Hatfield had a record that just dropped on his on the label. He's on Pink Turban. He's a fantastic guitar player, producer. Nice. Kind of like 
house genre and it's just it's, a, it's an incredible record so very cool definitely to check that out and just all the all the good music out there all the good music um, <laughs> yeah black moon howlers we have some new um like i said we're going in studio to work on a record but we have some new live uh in studio performances coming out on the youtubes and video channels in the coming weeks very cool and if you're in the texas area or really just the midwest yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for some blood we'll moving we'll be coming around a pirate flag flying. <laughs> Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have our guitarist Matt on the roof like that dude in that last Mad Max. Oh, that'd be badass. Yeah. Do you yeah, see that that. The, that Conan cold open where he, he was... Did he do that? No. He did that where he was the guy on the, the guitar. That was, that was hilarious. It was amazing. Hell yeah. <laughs> awesome. Brandon, thank you so much awesome. for doing Thanks, it. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it, man. All right. All Good right. luck in Austin. Thank you. Thank you.